For the last several weeks, we've been doing videos that delve into the subject of how does the Mosaic Law now play itself out in the life of a believer, a Gentile believer in particular, in the year 2022. The technical aspects of this is to look through the scripture and see how does the New Testament writers, how do they view the Old Testament law. And what we see is several patterns. Number one is we see that the Old Testament law is critical to the fulfillment of what Christ did. I mean, the law is connected to Jesus throughout. His personal life is a fulfillment of the Mosaic law. We also see that the law is good. The problems with Mosaic law isn't with the law itself, it's with us. Paul's very clear about that. He says the law is good and right. The question, though, is that after Jesus comes and lives out the law perfectly and then dies and rises again from the dead, how then is the law still uh, impacting the believer today? And we see in the New Testament a bit of a challenge because at times it looks like the New Testament uh, is still engaging in some aspects of Old Testament law. We'll see this, for instance, when Paul has Timothy circumcised. And the reason he does is that Timothy is half Jewish and he's afraid that if he's not circumcised, it will hurt their evangelistic ministry. We see Paul engaging in what appears to be a Nazarite vow. He goes to Jerusalem. He makes a journey there, a pilgrimage there with some other individuals. He makes a Nazarite vow, uh, which is part of a very Jewish part of the Old Testament law. It's a, a vow that's taken by people who are not from the Levitical line. It was a way of someone who was not in the priestly line to really dedicate themselves to the Lord, even though they weren't part of the priestly ministry. And so Paul, being from the tribe of Benjamin, makes this Nazarite vow. We see it in the Old Testament and individuals like Samson being the most famous. I think Samuel was also a Nazarite. And then we see, I think in John the Baptist as well, John the Baptist seems to be living out a very Nazarite type life. And so there's individuals who are not from the Levitical line or not in the priesthood or things like that uh, who wanted to make an extra dedication of themselves to the Lord. So we see Paul doing that. And this is clearly after the resurrection of Jesus. It's late in the book of Acts. And so uh, this is 20 plus years after the resurrection of Jesus. And so the question then is, what, what is the interaction here? And so we affirm that the Old Testament law is God's word. We affirm that the Old Testament law must be completely fulfilled in our lives. We affirm that Jesus lived out the Old Testament law perfectly. We also affirm that the Old Testament law that is reaffirmed in the New Testament is still in play. And the New Testament says murder is wrong. So murder is still wrong. Adultery is still wrong. Because the New Testament affirms it's still wrong. What we get into is the area of the details of specific Old Testament laws that individuals in the area of dietary, Sabbath observance, and there are a few others. Those are the main ones, though, but you, you hear of some others as well, where individuals say, well, aren't those still in place? And we've been talking through the ways in which the New Testament speaks about this, Acts 15 and the church uh, council, the ecumenical council. Where at the end of that council, the council could have easily said, hey, by the way, the law's been fulfilled in Jesus, but you guys need to be circumcised, you need to be uh, eating dietary restrictions from the law, this kind of thing. But they don't say that. It's the perfect opportunity. Paul, in the book of Galatians, where he's like, circumcision is of no value to you. Why are you Gentiles getting circumcised? Paul could have easily said in that place, yeah, but the rest of the law is still in play. And so why set aside circumcision in Galatians and then not explicitly say, oh, by the way, the rest of the law is still in play. But instead we get language like some people observe days and weeks more than others. Some people view all days the same. 
and we should be, you know, kind to each other, not have these things hoisted on one another. Now, one of my favorite texts to look at in reference to this, though, comes from Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 9. Now, the reason Paul's so important in this is that Paul is not only Jewish, but he's a Pharisee by background. And the Pharisees, you remember in Acts chapter 15, they're the group that brought this charge to the church. You guys are bringing Gentiles into the church, into the Jewish kingdom of the Jewish Messiah, and not requiring Jewish circumcision, and not requiring Jewish observance of the law. And that was the whole ecumenical council. And this is why Paul, in Acts chapter 15, is like, no, we, we saw the Spirit of God come upon them. This was Simon Peter's testimony with Cornelius. Cornelius is still eat, eating food that's not kosher. He becomes a believer, gets baptized, is uh, clearly displaying the evidence, external evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence. And when Peter shows up to Antioch, Paul actually gets in his face because Peter is not hanging out with individuals who have been eating food that's not kosher, not Jewish uh, restrictions according to Jewish law. And Paul confronts him over that. And we find in the book of Galatians that Paul confronted Peter to his face, and it was over dietary issues. So we know from the book of Galatians, circumcision, dietary issues, these kinds of things, Paul's already been very adamant about it. We have the church council. We have his confrontation of Simon Peter. We have his affirmation in his letters. But we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 is talking about freedom. And he says, Barnabas and I, we have freedom too. We have apostolic freedom too. Simon Peter's got a wife. Why can't I get married? Why can't Barnabas get married? And they're talking about freedom also to take a paycheck. The apostles in Corinth were saying things about, these super apostles in Corinth were saying things about Paul and Barnabas, like they're not as good as us. I mean, they're good, but they're not as good as us. We actually get paid. He's just a volunteer. And Paul's like, I could have taken a paycheck. I had every right to take one. I had freedom as a believer in Christ Jesus and as a minister to take a paycheck, but I don't do it. So that's the context of uh, 1 Corinthians 9, is this idea of freedom, freedom to get married, freedom to take a paycheck as a minister. And he's talking about his freedom, and he says, but the main thing for him is preaching the gospel to the whole world. And that's why he says the following. He says, for though I am free from all men, I've made myself a slave to all so that I might win more. And what he means by this is explicit in the next verse. To the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. So Paul says, you know, I, I'm living like a Jewish individual and when I'm around Jewish people, there's no accusation they can make against me that damages my credentials as a Jew. Then he says this, to those who are under the law, I live as though under the law, even though myself not being under the law. So Paul says basically, I'm following the law. I'm keeping the law. I'm eating kosher. I'm avoiding mixed fabrics. I'm avoiding, I'm, I'm observing the Sabbath and avoiding things that would offend Jewish people. But he says, I don't do it out of moral obligation or legal obligation. I do it just so I don't become a stumbling block to the Jews. This one line in here, he says, to those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. In other words, Paul says, look, I'm not following the law because there's some obligation on me, but only so the witness isn't damaged.